0: Today we are starting the book of Galatians. So if you would turn to Galatians chapter 1, read with me verses 1-5. through 5. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank You for this awesome book You've given to us. Lord, this letter from Paul to these people in Galatia. Lord, I ask that uh, as we go through this and we study it, and we look at it, Lord, that You would give us Your knowledge, Your wisdom, and Your faith. Lord, I thank you for the work you've done in all of us. Lord, I ask that we would have your eyes and seeing this, and we'd have your ears to hear this. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me this time. Not be I, but you through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The book of Galatians brought about the primary message of the Protestant Reformation. It's known as the battle cry of the Reformation. And has been called the Magna Carta of the early church. In 1517, Martin Luther, a Catholic monk, who was forefront of the Reformation movement, found the letter of Galatians, and that the letter resonated with him because he felt trapped in the Catholic works-based system that says that if you are good enough and you follow all of the ceremonies put forth by the church and that you confess to the priests that you could earn yourself into the good graces of Christ and in turn be accepted into heaven. Luther through the book of Galatians, recognized that he could not achieve the standard that the law in Scripture demanded. And that the letter of Galatians is clear that no one can be saved through their own works of the law. But he also recognized, through the book of Galatians, that it is through grace from God, with faith in Christ alone, that man is saved. Luther, coming to this saving knowledge, so fondly called Galatians, quote, My Epistle. He said that to it I am as if I were in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine was his wife. She was a runaway nun that uh, he helped 12 of them escape the Catholic Church. So with that, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther wrote 95 theses and nailed them to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, which signified the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So we see Galatians is called an epistle. If anybody doesn't know what an epistle is, it's just a fancy word for a letter, a written letter. Today when we write a letter, we tend to sign our name at the end. But with technology and such as email, we can see immediately who is writing to us. And that's the same with this here. Paul, as many letters were written in this day, he shows us right away who he is, who's writing the letter. And it is none other than the Apostle Paul. He shows this here in the first verse. He also makes mention that he is writing it. Chapter 6, verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand? So he not only identified himself as the writer, but he also says that he is writing it, which is something to note because many times paul had dictated letters so someone else wrote it for him and he would put it out and he would many times he would sign it at the end but he himself is it's indicated that he is writing this letter so if you are saved today we have paul to thank because paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And unless you are a Jew, you are a Gentile. In this book, in this letter, Paul gives us a glimpse of his past. Chapter 1, verses 13-16, through 16, he says, For you have heard of my former manner in life of Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. God, in His grace and mercy... Saved Paul. Paul says that he had a former life in Judaism and he persecuted the church of God beyond measure. He tried to destroy it. He's telling us he advanced in Judaism and he's saying that through God's grace and mercy, even though he was a great zealous persecutor of the church, God saved him. Christ saved him. We see this, another glimpse of who Paul is here, or of his history, in the same chapter, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He said I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Paul refers to himself, as someone who used to destroy the church, he tried to destroy the church. He persecuted Christians. He tried to destroy the church. We can look at Paul and see that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. We find his credentials in Philippians 3, 5 and 6. He says he was circumcised the eighth day. That was according to Jewish law, all males are to be circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the most revered tribes of the nation of Israel. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. And he had zeal. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He persecuted the church with great zeal. As to righteousness, which is in the law, he was found blameless. Nobody, nobody could pin any blame on Paul with his keeping of the external law. Paul, we see... He fulfilled those credentials. We see this in Acts 7, 58 through Acts 8, 3. In this, we find that Paul, at the time, he was known as Saul. And we find him at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons, and Stephen was being charged with blasphemy. During his defense before the council, the Holy Spirit spoke through Stephen. And he boldly proclaimed that the scribes and Pharisees were murderers of Jesus. And they became very angry with him. And they started to stone him. They started stoning Stephen. And we come to verse 58 of Acts 7. It says, When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Saul, who we know as Paul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. When people stoned somebody at that time, they took off their robes because they were a hindrance to them. They had long flowing robes and there's no way you could get a good throw of a stone, these heavy stones they had with these robes. So they would take them off. Many versions say they were coats. okay, And they laid them at the feet of Saul to guard their coats, to guard their robes. And in chapter 8, it says Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Saul thought he was justified in doing this to the people of God, to God's true people, the Christians, because he believed he was doing this in God's name. Anything, he was so zealous that anything that he viewed as threatening God and the Mosaic Law was to be ended, and he felt justified in doing so. And in Acts chapter 9, we see that Saul was still persecuting the church. He went to the high priest and received letters in which we would say these are equivalent to arrest warrants in this day, so that he could go to Damascus and arrest Christians and bring them back to stand trial in Jerusalem. However, Acts 9, 3-19, Saul was on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded and saved by Christ himself. This was confirmed by those who were traveling with him. They all heard the voice. And then God in a vision brings us another witness to this. That is Ananias. Verses 15 and 16 of Acts 9. He proclaims this, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen, in regards to Saul, as an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So, Jesus goes to Ananias in a vision and says, Saul is going to be bearing My name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. Ananias was kind of reluctant. That's why he had to give him a vision because he said, isn't this the same guy who's killing all of us? Isn't this the same guy who's arresting us, taking us to jail? And then we see in Acts 9.21, a mirroring of Galatians one twenty two and twenty three, about about Saul, this is coming from the disciples in Damascus. It says all those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, "Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests?" Everyone shocked. Everyone is shocked at the conversion of Saul. This man Saul, he was murdering Christians. He was arresting them, taking them to Jerusalem to stand trial for blasphemy. And now all of a sudden he's saved? He's preaching the gospel? What in the world happened? We know what happened. We saw what happened. In Acts thirteen nine we see the link to show that this Saul is known as Paul. It says, But Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. This is the first time we've been introduced to Saul as being known as Paul. One of the most convincing things that I've seen, though, of Paul's conversion and his personal instruction directly from Christ is what we just looked at today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 Paul's description of the Lord's table. He proclaims in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Paul, being of the Pharisees, he would have never been at the Passover feast with Jesus. There was no way he was in the same room with him. And when Jesus converted the Passover to his table, that says a lot. Because here, Paul did not know that. Yet he proclaims it, that he received it from the Lord. And he describes it in the exact manner that it was given. So now, we've looked at who is writing this letter. We've looked at his past. And we've looked at how he has been converted. We know he is a true man of God. Now, I want to look for a second at who he is writing this to. Verse 2 of our text in Galatians, it says at the end of verse 2, to the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a Roman province and is what current day is Turkey. The most likely churches that he is writing this to were the ones that he founded with Barnabas during his first missionary journey, the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. This can be found in Acts 13 and 14. We're not going to read that. These people were Celtic people. They were Gentiles. The reason this was called Galatia was because these were people called the Gauls that migrated into this region. They came from Central Asia Minor. Modern day Continental Europe is where they came from. They came into Central Asia Minor, I'm sorry. They came from around the countries of France, Switzerland, Germany, maybe a little bit of Italy, and the Netherlands. Thus, the Gauls came into the region of Galatia. The primary message of the book of Galatians is freedom in Christ, which encompasses freedom from sin, freedom from the works of the law, and freedom from self. Galatians five one says, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. It is freedom that Christ set us free. 5:13 says, "For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're given freedom. We're not to take this freedom and turn it into sin. We're not to turn it into an opportunity for the flesh. We are to take this freedom in Christ Jesus that we've been given to serve the Lord. We are being given freedom from sin, Galatians 2.17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. Christ is not a minister of sin. We are not to act in this manner. We are not to act in a sinful manner. Yes, we all sin. There's no getting around that. But we are not to intentionally go acting in sin just because we have freedom in Christ. The freedom of Christ is freedom from sin. It is said we are a slave to Christ no longer a slave to sin. Therefore, we have been given freedom from sin in Christ. We see freedom from the works of the law, Galatians 3.22, but the Scripture that's in reference to the law has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law is not sin, but we see sin through the law. It shows us our sin, and we are not to follow that sin. And when you are enslaved to the law, you try so hard not to sin, but in and of yourself you can't follow that law, therefore you sin but the freedom in Christ takes that from us. We are no longer bound to that. We see the freedom from self because in Christ we die to self. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We were crucified with Christ. We went through this this morning. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. And Christ took that from us. He took those sins, he crucified them, and he got rid of them. So now in the flesh, we live by faith. That's faith that God has given us. It's not faith in and of ourselves. And it's said that it's faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul has such great, great, rich theology in this book. And this is the way we are to live. But the question that I had when I was reading this was, Why is Paul writing to these people? What's what's the reason for his writing these things to these people? Okay, It's because there was a major problem in the church in Galatia. Most places where Paul established a church, or the church is in Galatia, I should say, but most places where Paul established a church, as soon as he would leave, false teachers would come in. They would come in, they would pervert the gospel amongst the people, they would bring in their little nuances, and they would say, oh, well, you know, yeah, Paul gave you this, but uh we've got a little something here that will really make that better, that we can give to you. That's why he left Timothy in Ephesus. That's why he left Titus in Crete. Because false teachers were coming in. They were trying to convince the people that there was more to salvation than Christ alone, than the faith of living in Christ alone. This not only happened to Paul. There's a whole book of the Bible devoted to false teachers. That's the book of Jude. It's a very short book, little book. But Peter and John also addressed false teachers in their epistles. And other books such as Hebrews address the same. The majority of the letters that Paul wrote also addressed false teachers and false teaching in the church. Bad behavior, false teaching, the things that people thought they had liberty to do in Christ. And that Paul told us here, No, you don't. Christ is not of sin. The law is not of sin. So we see in the church in Galatia, the same had gone on here. There were people called Judaizers that came into the church. These were Jews who claimed to be Christians. And they had come in and they convinced these Gentiles that they truly could not be saved unless they were circumcised and they followed the Mosaic law and its traditions and ceremonies. And Paul describes these people in Galatians 2 4. He says, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. The phrase seen here is a military phrase. It speaks of these quote-unquote brethren as traitors and spies. Today, we would think of Benedict Arnold, They sneaked in in order to bring the people into bondage and to add to the gospel. So what was their motivation? We see motivation in Galatians 4.17. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. They were seeking the accolades of men that we could bring something better to you and you would praise us for that. Galatians six twelve and 13, it says, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. These Judaizers want these people, these Gentiles, to seek them. They don't want them to seek God. They're looking for the accolades of men. They want these people to seek them out, to learn how to follow the Jewish law, something that these Gentiles knew nothing about. They'd never been born Jews. They'd never followed the Jewish laws. They didn't know any of that. They were pagans. They had multiple gods. They had their own gods. They had a system that they worshipped before they knew Christ. But these Judaizers were also trying to convince them that There was persecution coming from the Jewish church. And there was. There was persecution coming from the Jews. But this persecution could be alleviated if they became circumcised. That they could alleviate that. We see that. It says, "...they try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ." So that they're saying, we can alleviate some of this persecution. Just get circumcised. And in turn, it says here, so that they may boast in your flesh. They want to be the ones who bring peace between them and the Jews so that they can boast about it. So they can say, we took these people here and... We made them kind of fit you guys over here so you guys can kind of calm down. They're not doing anything different than you guys are, than you Jews are, and you don't need to be persecuting in them anymore. They want the accolades for that. They want to be recognized that they brought peace between the two. And Paul is furious. He's furious about this. Because they are accepting this false doctrine into the church. Galatians 1 6, he makes a statement, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. That's a scathing statement. He calls them foolish. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's not happy. He is not happy here. He's trying to sit there and say, Why in the world I gave you Jesus and that is what you need? Why are you trying to follow these things that these people have brought in? Why are you trying to follow the law? Don't you know? Didn't you realize you had faith in the hearing? Isn't that what I brought you? We see another scourging, Galatians 5, 7 through 10. You were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. He's proclaiming judgment on these people. These people who brought a false gospel saying that they have to follow the law to truly be saved. Paul even gives this gruesome statement in chapter 5, verse 12. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. You know what he's saying there? He says that those coming in telling you that you as adults must be circumcised. He's saying, I wish they cut theirs off. That's a pretty crass statement if you ask me. That sounds really happy. Sounds like Paul's really happy there. So Paul starts this letter on the defensive. He starts with his name. He gives a defensive description of his authority as an apostle of Christ. In the first two chapters... Are Paul defending that authority? He's defending that authority in the first two chapters. Chapters 3 and 4 of this book is a contrast between the law and faith in Christ. And chapters 5 and 6 is instruction to those to live by faith and not the works of the law, to walk in the freedom of Christ, and he closes the letter of Galatians with this. He musters enough love to say, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have given us this book, Lord, God, that we could look and see the way we are to live, where we are to live in Christ, in faith, not of the law, not of our works, Lord, that... uh, We are not to accept any gospel other than your true gospel. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for this letter he wrote so that we could see and know and hear. Thank you, Lord. Amen.